This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. My name is Frank Gill. I'm a campus pastor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm your host for this show. And I'm here with the guy who was the best man at my wedding. He's the lead pastor of a church in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeffrey Simpson. Howdy. Down in the hot, humid, and very southern Sumter, South Carolina, I am here with the very creative campus pastor, Demo Pete Cowabunga. This and your pastors, one half of the highly acclaimed and almost award-winning podcast, The Morning After Ministry Show, all the way from sunny, safe from Harbor, Florida, Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, one and all. And lastly, he is the lead pastor of a church in Tarpon Springs, Florida. He is a Jacksonville Jaguars fan for a reason I still don't understand. And he is the other half of the almost award-winning podcast, Timothy Miller. Fun fact, I used to have dreadlocks, and I still don't know why. I I don't know why. I mean, I wish you said I had dreadlocks. Um, do you feel like now that you're a senior pastor, you can't have dreadlocks? I, I don't know. That's if, why if he got them off. cut. That, that was partly. We, yeah. we all knew when he got them cut, we're like, oh, we get it. His title, what? his role change. He went from youth pastor to next gen pastor, and we were all like, <laughs> "We see what we see. What you're doing here, Tim. We know what this is." In the last episode, you talked about your succession plan. Was that like was the dreads like the first paragraph of the succession <laughs> plan? Like first, cut dreads. Second, limit tattoos. Was it all there? That was all all of the above. The dreads had to go. Was the dreads? Oh, but not one person in, in the church ever complained, which is just wild to me. Were looking back at like, photos, it's really embarrassing. Were that was that like your emergent moment? <laughs> yeah, I, I was searching. You know, when you have a, a really massive curly fro, I get just, it, dude. Yeah. Uh, who, not, it's not Rob Bell, but who's the other guy that was really big in the emergent movement? Shane Claiborne. Uh, Shane there's another, there another Brian McLaren. That's what I was thinking of. Brian McLaren. He never had dreads. Shane had dreads, and they were nasty. It has yeah, nothing to do with dreads. It has everything to do with the emergent movement oh, and, yeah. and his influence. But uh, this is a great question. What is one thing that, whether it's a, a, a style like clothing-wise or facial hair or whatever or head hair, that you had like when you were a worshiper or youth pastor back in the day, that now that you're the main person, you're like, I can't pull that off anymore. What is something that you would that, that you had that you can't do anymore? I had the soul patch for a bit because it was the oh. only area of my face, like Dude. like the little triangle immediately under the lip, because that was the that only was on place that I that's the only place <laughs> I could actually grow facial hair. That was it. That's all I had for the longest that's time. That. I just thought you just kind of missed that when you were shaving. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> that's not a senior pastor thing. That's completely out of vogue. Like that's like I mean like like uh, there's classic Doug Field pictures. With him with that that Doug Field soul patch that like he would be embarrassed to have that now, you know? 
Which, by the way, if, you, if you're not from the youth ministry world, Doug Fields is a good friend of ours. He is a youth ministry legend, literally wrote books about how to do youth ministry. And he's a great dude. Shout out to Doug. I don't know if you're listening to us, but glad that you had a soul patch once. Uh, what else, guys? What else? I mean, like, I had um, the David Crowder chin thing before I grew my full beard out. Um, so it was just like just a long Billy Goat chin thing. And then I, I, I think this actually, Jeff, I, I think you might know this, but. The reason why I grew a beard out, kind of going back to last week, when it, last episode when I talked about uh, the conspiracy theories, um, around that same time when I w- had the like, week binge of conspiracy theories, I saw the movie 300. And when I saw the movie 300, I noticed something. Yes. All the good guys had beards and all the bl- bad guys were clean shaven. It's true. And so in my mind, I was like, I want to be a good guy. And from that day on, I grew up my full beard. And then you discovered the Spurge. and all The Spurge. The, That's the sound logic, the, man. All the you got theological go backing it. now? I want to be called the Urban Spurgeon. The Bearded Gospel Men? Yeah, the Bearded Gospel. I was, I, I was, remember that blog? I was on that blog once. What? Fun. They still post on Facebook every now and then. Really? That's a, yeah. that's a throwback. Because I'm pretty sure Bearded Gospel was like a Tumblr account. Like, a long time ago. I, for me, it was like the like how casual I would dress when I was like the worship slash youth guy, like oh, yeah. and not in my personal life necessarily, but like showing up to meetings with like youth volunteers in just like flip flops and basketball shorts and a tank top. Like, I mean, I probably could do it, but for one, I don't. My body isn't there anymore, and for two, <laughs> for two, like it just like I actually to take it serious. I had a, a older guy to church i was at when i was real young and i led worship in sandals rainbows of course you know the best kind and uh, he was like hey do you mind putting shoes on this is super distracting like he was like a grandfather (laughs) to me so i actually that was the first moment and i was like oh he's not just being like a jerk about it so from Mm -hmm. then on i was like you know what man i'm just gonna wear shoes like it's not that big of a deal so I mean, I went through a super heavy, and this is more recent because, like, uh, I'm a I'm a Harley guy. I like motorcycles. I went through a super heavy, like, real big motorcycle phase, and and one day I was at a yard sale and found the black jacket. I'm like, I'm getting this, and you know, I roll up into Starbucks, and they're like, Oh, look, look who rolled up into Happy Times, you know, because I look like the Fonz. I was like, Yeah, I think <laughs> I think I, I think I went too hard, so I, I backed off. But yeah, in the first six years of ministry, I had the. Uh, you know the the patch of hair that starts above your lip, curves down under your chin, but it's like isolated there. And you know, it's like it doesn't fill your whole face. It's like you're walking around with like a guinea pig attached to your bottom of your chin. Like yeah, a goatee. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that yeah, it's super, but mine was not like well trimmed. It was like it's here because I don't like to shave, you know? That was totally my, the laziness coming out and it, it did like I had like a guinea pig hanging off my chin, so I'm not exactly proud of that. I probably would have tattoos if it wasn't for being in ministry like my wife is big in that like she's always been like don't get one wait till you can and now i'm just like uh it's too late yeah once you get past a certain age it's, it's not like you're gonna start now like you should well, start started like i don't want to pay know? for it now well, well andrew got his point, first ta- was that that lower back tattoo you got last year andrew that lower back tattoo of the morning after ministry show logo yeah, yeah. was mm-hmm. like you took me to get it and i just thought it was special are you being serious no <laughs> oh, I, I mean no. I, I don't know I'm, to go back to what Jeffrey was saying is my my thing about tattoos is um I want to I, I want to be debt free before I buy any more tattoos so that way I can claim it as dispensable income. Um, <laughs> we're almost there. I have I still have a car payment and a, and a mortgage, so we'll see what happens. 
But hey, this was. Uh, uh, I'm glad you brought up the dreads. I'm praying that Tim, as you are slowly navigating this church into a new era, the the, the Miller Party era, then maybe um, dreads can make a comeback. Because if you go on your Facebook, there's some glorious pictures of some long. They were flowing locks 40, 42 dreads. locks of love there. Uh, our clergy cliff notes. Uh, and I want to hear from uh, from Jeff. So the Clergy Cliff Notes are are ideas, articles, blogs, videos, things we find on the internet that have to do with pastoral ministry or pastoring people. And we're going to just spend a, a, a quick amount of time kind of discussing it. Jeff, you have a, a great discussion for us. So, uh, you know, when everything was closed down because of the Rona, um, there was kind of an, a pretty quick sort of like political, politicization of that whole thing where there were some folks who felt that um, this was government overreach in not allowing churches to meet in person, uh, which I personally, you know, we, we struggled with it too. I I remember that week of March 15th, like this, the stomach turning in my, you know, my stomach turning over deciding, and we decided on like Thursday, the, the 12th or whatever that was to not hold services. And then we just haven't been back since. We thought it was going to be like two weeks and then be back, but we all know yeah, that. We'll be happen. back by Easter. Nope. Yeah. Nah. Uh, so anyway, a lot of pastors reacted around the country, and my state is no different. And there's an area here called Dundalk, and a pastor made it into the news because uh, I know you guys down there with Rodney Howard Brown, that whole thing. Yep. It's kind of a similar thing, but this guy is on video. The news picked up this story. This was back in May, but he's on video tearing up a cease and desist order uh, at his, you know, at his gathering. And maybe we can put the link in the show notes, but he's tearing up a cease and desist order. And of course, he's um, he's saying that we're going to do things God's way. We're not going to let the government tell us what to do, uh, all that stuff. And so, you know, for me, it's just I don't I don't understand I know that there is government overreach from sometimes, but I don't understand um, how there are those who don't see that this is essentially the same thing as having a fire code or building codes in your building. So, you know, I've had a number of conversations with folks who will say, well, the government shouldn't be able to tell the church anything. And it's like, but I mean, they, they, they tell us how to build our building. They tell us how many people we can have in our building. So where do you guys land on that is, I guess, my question. And then I have a, a, a funny take of this story that kind of uh, is one solution that the pastor had. But what, what's your take on that? Like, what, where's the line for you of, like, re- overreach? For me, the overreach was when the pastor here in Tampa was actually arrested because that, you know, you knew that, A, that's exactly what he wanted. He wanted to get his face in every newspaper in America, and he succeeded, and B— the they dropped charges within 24 hours so he there is it, it it was him and the county sheriff who was his buddy having a contest to see who would win but i was all like this guy's an idiot this guy's an idiot this guy's an idiot and then the minute they arrested him i was like but constitutionally he's allowed to be an idiot and his church is allowed to do idiotic things according to the first amendment so that was kind of where where my take was like our church wasn't meeting at that time so i was watching that from the sideline thinking shame on this guy for endangering his people as a pastor he needs to be a better steward of the people that god has entrusted to him but 
shame on the county sheriff for arresting him as well because the Constitution has made it very clear that he has a right to be an idiot. But what hurts is not just that he was endangering his congregation, but it hurts because that's what the national media picks up. So then all Christians are painted in this light. And then right. those are the texts that I'm getting from my, you know, unbelieving friends, family, like, wow, I can't believe what you guys are doing. Like, no, 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 that's not you guys. That's not all of us. That is a few who are opting to go down this road, which and I see it, it just kind of hurts all of us when people do stuff like that. Yeah. And I think the response, I think, oh man, it really is contextual because like when it's all first started, it was just, just Corona, just COVID, you know? And then all of a sudden now we have protesters and I think it's making some of those pastors who, who weren't as vocal now saying, well, Hey, we can meet over here at the courthouse and go inside this building, but we can't meet in the church. So now I'm going to put my, my, my stake down. And it's like, well, I, I don't know if even now is the right time to, to wield that because obviously there are more pastoral things that we need to lean into now instead of going back to this other one. Um, but I know, and at least in our community, that whole, the way that's been presented is you can gather over here, but not over here. It's bolstering the, the, I don't know if you want to call it the hostility, but the angst against it. I mean, I think like, I don't know I'm not a constitutional rights expert by any stretch. I don't think any of us are, but like, I mean, when it comes to like the freedom of religion and like, and then even the conversation later about separation of church and state, it's like, we, it, I feel like some of the stuff that's being mandated and stuff like that is because we're in a global health crisis. And it's like, because we're in like unique circumstances, there are special exemptions that the government gets to do during like, a global crisis like this. I mean, this is why, like, um, I mean, I don't know, not to say I agree with this, but like, this is why the president has the authority to like send in the national guard when the governor needs help with rioters or something, right? Like there's these special exemptions that happen during special situations. To me, when I hear this type of stuff, I think the blame is more on the pastor being just like self-centered, like, look at me, I'm going to cause a big scene and, 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 and kind of just flex on everyone for the sake of flexing, because at the end of the day, if we're being honest, all that's just a political move. It's just, it's, it's to get more, it's to get more attention and, and, and maybe rile up more people who they know would agree that the government is overreaching. And so they're causing a scene to make the government overreach. And to me, that's on the pastor being boneheaded. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it goes back to that thing we <laughs> talked about in the first episode where it's like, I get convicted with those pastors that talk about living quiet, meek lives. It's like, should we be bolstering these like moves as pastors just to get attention and then use like political leanings to get a high five from a congregant or another church? Like to me, that's nonsense. And it's a distraction from the gospel and where we need to be focusing on like caring for our people through what is essentially probably one of the most difficult times in the past 20 years for most of our churches, right? Like since nine 11, there's nothing that's been such a global reach in terms of hurt and pain and uncomfortableness. But I don't like the government tell I, I, like, it's slippery slopes here because like, I even think about what we're happening now with like masks and then like the conversation. Well, if mass is required by everybody in the entire city, but religious institutions are exempt from it, it's like the Holy Spirit is not going to like cover us from germs, right? Like we, like we should be wearing masks too, right? Like, like, like there's not like something special, like a special cloud as much as people want to believe there is over churches that when we say we're exempted from 
other things in the city that like we're safer from it or like like something should apply in the church and i think giving the discretion to the pastor to make those decisions is great but uh but man it doesn't help when you have like like tim said people who are making bad examples for us and then now we're having to front conversations from both sides of the conversation within our own church because they can say well so and so down the street is open why aren't you open or so and so down the street doesn't require to wear masks why are you requiring it like it makes things way more complicated when like we're all on the same team at least in theory right and it's getting difficult now because churches are now shutting down again where we are so the two big churches right next to me uh one announced this past week and one announced today that they will not be um in in service on Sunday, it'll be online only. So now I have people looking to me saying, okay, what's, what's our next move. And I'm trying to follow the guidelines of our, you know, local and state officials. And Andrew and I have had this conversation that nobody wins here. And in in a sense, we're all wrong. We're all going to mess up. You know, one of the things that, and again, I don't want to defend any pastor who's endangering the, the lives of his congregants because that's just foolishness. But I where my church is, we are right in the middle of a downtown, not like a skyscraper downtown, but like a walking downtown with bars and restaurants and you know be, bed and breakfasts and stuff like that. And so, the restaurants, the hotels, they all have licenses from the state, the city, the county, whatever it may be. You have a liquor license, you have a business license, you have whatever it is that your municipality issues you once you meet the requirements to be one of those things. We don't have a church license. So the city has not come and said, you have the license to operate as a church here. And so they cannot suspend our church license if we don't listen to what they say. Again, we are not we are not the people who are trying to go and be open when we should be closed. If, if anything, we're trying to be more cautious than we should be. But I understand why people would react in extreme ways when overreaching is present. And I think if we're going to be honest, we call it overreach, but if if we're just going to be like super revealing, a lot of it's pretty carnal, right? Like I don't want to shut down my church because if the road church down the road isn't shut down, where might my people go? And and I think mm-hmm. like as pastors, we have to own that that is actually stemming from our insecurity. Like, it, you know, and one of the things I'm learning in this entire crisis is, you know, before this, you led mostly, mostly, you know, in a lot of ways as senior pastors from the platform. But now that's been yanked out from up under us. And now we're having to lead from the pastoring side of things. Those one-on-one conversations, those emails, those things that just drag on and on and on. It's harder, at least for me, you know, it's more, it's way harder, it's way harder. So for me to not shut church down or whatever, that's actually saying, Hey, who I don't have to do as much of the, the other heavy lifting that really, I know I need to be doing. So that's something that well, I, and let's be real. Mm. As you, as youth pastors, it was kind of like, you know, budget, smudge it. Who cares? Here's what the line item says that I have to spend. I'm going to spend 10% over that. So I get more in the budget next year and boom, we're good. And as the leaders, either of a campus or of a congregation, now we're looking at this thing going, oh boy, like if, if there's not butts and seats, there might not be checks and plates. That's a scary thing. There's a lot of leading out of fear. I, and I would say, I would say just to push back on the, on what you said, Andrew, um, just to play devil's advocate, uh, you know, the comparison to like restaurants and bars with like a liquor license, but as churches that have buildings, we do have a certificate of occupancy which is the same as every other business that has a building. 
So there's a sense in which those licenses are not applying. Those licenses are telling them that what they can do in the building, which we don't have, but it's not, it's not. Uh, so to me, I look at the, you know, the government saying you can't have more than 50 people or whatever in the same way that I look at a fire code, which is applied evenly to every structure, commercial, you know, one thing for commercial, one thing for residential. And to me, this falls under that category. So I don't see it as, I do think there can be cases of specific overreach, but I don't see uh, these things particularly as overreach. And I would say constitutionally, um, nobody is saying we can't practice our religion. They're just saying we can't meet in this particular building, which is, you know, I, I mean, all of us have said for years, the church is in a building, the church is in a building, the church is in a building. So, you know, I, I I guess for me, I struggle to buy that, like, well, if they tell us we can't be in our building, then they're picking on us. They're discriminating against us and saying we can't practice our religion, which I don't think that's what's happening. I think that could happen. And I think that we have to keep our keep watch because it, it absolutely could happen. But I don't I don't see that as and so that so for a pastor to rip up a cease and desist order up here, for instance, you know, he had been meeting despite the orders for for no businesses to have more than 10 people indoors. And he was kind of saying, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have to do that because I have a right. But to me, I don't, for me, it's, it's a different category. And I think that's a, for me, it's a category mistake. So on, on top of the thing, like you said, that we're, you know, we're probably all being more safe than we need to. No, I was going to say, there's a funny version of this, uh, a pastor in Argentina um, basically made that argument that why are why are bars and restaurants allowed to be open and churches are not? So he he dressed himself and all his staff up as waiters and carried the Bibles in on trays and opened the church in a, and made his church into a bar so they could so they could have a service. So that's a creative way you could you could handle it. There, there was one church, they actually smashed in one of their windows, their own windows, and said, we are having a protest, we are protesting evil or whatever, and they had church and called it, called it a protest. But you know, I mean, you, but you bring up a really good point, because like as pastors, I, I'm, I'm super on board with y'all. It's our job to, to pastor the flock, to care, to love them, and, and to not make it more difficult for the gospel, people to see the gospel, you know? But once you tell that person who is, you know, anti-mask, anti-shutdown, um, you don't always get that that heart sentiment back. You get, well, hey, they're they're protesting here. Hey, the abortion clinic was open, yeah. so we can kill our kids, but we can't bring them to church. And I mean, but that's the real. That's what's going to come back at us when we talk, you know. So I think we have to be very and, and kind of like when we were talking about in the last podcast, like that's reality for a lot of our people. So how do we not just glaze over it and give them the, you know, the the Jesus juke card, like how do we meet them in that anxiety and take them to the next step? And we've all been at work, uh, you know, in work looks different now, but you know what? We're, we're all getting paychecks. We're all going about our normal life. If anything, we're working harder than we have been. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt who are at extreme anxiety levels because they're yeah. just wanting to get back to work. They're wanting to get back to life. So again, Agreed. like I, you know, we, I, I'm going to be overly cautious, but I also understand the thinking of people that are just ready to be done with everything. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I told, I want to be back in church too. I mean, yeah, it's way I, more work. I, I, I mean, to do it this we way. all, 
and and not even just the work thing, but like on a theological level, we all believe incarnational ministry is like, you know, the, Zoom can never replace face to face. Yeah. And like I say that every week on church online. Like I know this is te- I'm glad for the technology, but it's never going to replace it. So it's just it just puts us in that weird space where like Delmar, you were saying people have different expectations. And I've struggled with like, what do you do as the when you're the pastor and you are the one you are one of the ones who's not comfortable being inside yet. And yeah. folks are like looking at you like, mm. well, of course you want to be you want to have church, don't you? And inside you're like, I mean, if you guys want to have church inside, I'm not coming in there to preach. <laughs> you know, it's like that's there. there's that struggle, too. Yeah, I think it's been really beneficial for us to have um, elders on different sides of the spectrum here. So we, we have some very conservative and then some who are like, uh, you know, we're ready to go. And then one of our elders has not come back to the building, will not be back. He, he's yeah. just said, look, I, my wife has kind of put her foot down here. This is where I'm at. And and I, and I respect that. But he, he brings a really balanced voice to the board whenever we meet and have to make decisions like this. I think that a North Star for me has been every time I see that, the problem's not the problem. Yeah. You know, when there's anxiety over the mask, the the mask, the problem is not the problem. I think you guys are hitting at it major. It's, it's people been stuffed up in their house. Some people, you know, their kids might be driving them crazy. Some people just, they're social people, so they need it. So here I can, I have these arguments over here I can use for why I should be able to go places. That's what I'm going to identify as the problem. But our job as a pastor is to help get to the real problem. And I, and I think there's one more thing that, that in that list too. Yes, people are social people. People want to be around people. I think also a lot of people are scared and they don't yeah. know how to process fear. And so, and like, I think for so much of us in America, like, you know, we have lived these very comfortable lives where fear is not necessarily a thing that's a part of our normal lives. So a dependency on God is not necessarily a real tangible aspect it's just something we say in name only and so we fight tooth and nail i mean like i mean jeff you said earlier and i like that's the biggest thing is like we say for years church is not a building but only thing that people are talking about when can we get back in the building and it's like have we not listened to our preaching the past you know forever yeah i mean have i not listened to me preaching that because like i'm in the same boat um but one of the things i think is driving people's desire to, you know, religious people to get back to church uh, in the uh, the gathering um, that I see in a lot of folks that I know is like all of their, all of their versions of their escapism have been taken away from them. So maybe they use work to escape from issues at home or they use going out to eat to escape from like having real conversations with people. So like, and, and like, we just, we just fill our lives up with hurry and busyness and then that all just got taken away. And so now we're just like stuck dealing with ourself and we don't like it. And so I think there's a sense in which some of it is people just wanting to get back to some activity, whatever that would be. Uh, this was good, man. That, that, that was the price of admission for this podcast already. Hey, uh, Delmar, you have a clergy cliff note, right? I've all seen this. Anyone listening to this podcast, this has happened to you if you're a pastor. You've been on Facebook, Twitter, just doing your thing, and all of a sudden you see a post and you're like, oh man, it's who would say that? And then you're like, oh my gosh, it's someone I love and respect. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that really brings it home. Actually, um, Nine Marks, they're putting out some really good content in, in regards to being online. And if we really snipe that in, 
have y'all seen any pastors post stuff where you're like, man, really preacher? And uh, they got this one article and really um, I love what they're saying. The whole, the whole title of the article is pastors on social media. But one of the things that he really leans into is, Hey, preachers, you need to have your own personal set of rules for how you manage Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, because they're not giving us those rules. Um, and I have some in my life, but I would just be curious, say, are, are there any personal rules you have as pastors that navigate how you interact on social media at large? I mean, my biggest thing is um, 90% of the stuff that comes to my 99% of the stuff that comes to my mind does not need to be said. Right. And like, I uh, like, there's a comedian I used to listen to his podcast and he would say the reason why he can't run for president is because whatever he did wrong is already on social media. Like it's already, whatever, whatever, whatever is going to be exposing him, he already did it. So I can't run for president anymore because it's going to come out. Right. And I think to myself of like, Oh, like mm-hmm. 10, I mean, Frank 10 years ago that was on Facebook and Tumblr and whatever those social media networks are. Like I'm, I said, <laughs> I probably had such dumb opinionated stuff that I disagree with now. I even think about like one of my favorite TV shows, Community, um, and many other shows. They're like taking off all the episodes that were kind of problematic in 2020 sensibilities, right? And like there's an episode where uh, Senior Chang uh, dressed up as a dark elf, and it's really funny, but people are saying it's blackface. And I think about like all the inappropriate jokes I thought were funny when I was like 22 or 23 that I'm like would be embarrassed of right now. Wait, so Frank, have you gone back and scrubbed like previous <laughs> stuff just to make sure? You know, me saying this right now is probably causing someone to find old tweets of mine. So I probably should have not even on it. So. I'm I'm scrolling through <laughs> right <laughs> now, bro. Whoa, Frank, 2017, 2017 screenshot guy, bro. Um, I mean, like, <laughs> I, like I don't know. It's it's one of these where like I want to be more mindful of what I say, but also at the same time, like. I also want to have my own voice, you know what I'm saying? And like, even with this whole, like, for example, the whole civil unrest in our country, I I felt this tension of like, I don't want to get in the middle of something where I will offend a brother unnecessarily because there's no nuance to social media. But at the same time, I just spoke at three conferences in the past year where I talked about the complexities of being a minority in ministry. And so I know that like, there are, people who follow me who want to hear a voice of like the complex situation we're facing right now of being minorities in ministry in a predominantly white church and, and being one of the few minorities on my own staff, people are wondering, like, I get like text messages from my friends. Like, Hey, what do you think of that sermon on Sunday? It's just people being nice. And it's like, I get why you're asking me. And I feel like I want to talk about it, but it's that tension. But ultimately it's this is like, a, is it causing unnecessary strife or an unnecessary argument? I don't want to be a part of that. Like, I don't, my, my only hot takes, I want to be around Chick-fil-A, right? Like, I don't, that's the only hot takes I want is like, what's the best restaurant? I don't, I don't want to debate you online about politics. I have strong opinions about our president and our government and all that kind of stuff. But with the, with the lack of nuance that social media has, it's not going to be beneficial for anyone, right? When you look at most of these conversations, in person. I was saying, you just look at what happened with Church at the Highlands was that last month. And it was, you know, like it wasn't anything he had oh tweeted. Gosh. It was accounts that he had liked or it was tweets that he had liked caused them to lose a lease, which is baffling. And I'm sure if. It, two yeah, two, yeah. 
if, if they wanted there to be a lawsuit. Well, and cause them to lose the yeah. ability to serve the community, which is that's the wild part to me. Like the least thing I'm like, you know what? I yeah. mean, hey, it's capitalism, whatever. I don't I don't like it. But like, why yeah, did like you take you, away their ability? To, you like, cannot serve, serve people? lower that's income nuts. households because not the church, but someone that works there. Now it's the senior pastor, but still, but because he liked a tweet of someone that you don't like, that's that's and it's not like he's not going through liking Al Qaeda tweets. It's the president of the United States of America, who again a lot of strong opinions about the guy, but to say we're going to take away this because of someone liking a tweet. I always I'm afraid when I'm scrolling through Instagram and I inadvertently like something. I always go through and I'm like, all right, I'm liking the next 30 things that I see because I don't want anyone to see what's the most recent thing that I've liked. And so there are times that I'll just be scrolling like, well, looks like I'm going to like everything for 20 minutes because I, I want the plausible deniability. (laughs) So I have a question because I've dealt with this recently being a pastor on social media and that's that, how do you, how do you interact with staff on social media? Um, one of my staff members posted uh, an article and I had a counterpoint and was not meaning to be competitive all just wanted to say, Hey, there, there are multiple viewpoints on this topic. So I, I shared that. And I immediately got a text that said, I don't think it's cool that our lead pastor uh, is trying to start a fight on Facebook. And I just kind of had to take a step back and was like, Whoa, whoa no, no, no. I, I just wanted to have multiple viewpoints just to make sure it was kind of a well-rounded discussion. So have you guys faced that issue at all being a pastor on social media? Not not or staff. Do you just avoid. Do you just avoid. That I haven't stuff? had that. I haven't had that with staff, but I've had it with with other members who posted something like, and I just said something in the comments that was kind of a counterpoint, and I immediately got a message that was like, "I can't believe you called me out like that. That's so wrong," and I immediately was just like, "Wait a minute, you posted that in a public on the internet? Like I didn't, I didn't reveal something about you. I was just so it." A lot of times it seems like there's a disconnect for people between like spiritual leadership and how they interact on social media. They just like think that we don't apply there. I don't know what it is. I think one of the things is hard driven down into the culture of our church or our staff, I should say, is uh, Matthew 18. Like you go to someone one-on-one first. Um, so if somebody's posting something that's a little off, you know, and it's like really off. That's generally when I'll, I'll say, hey, let's slide into the DM and just say, hey, this is kind of where I haven't really had to do that a lot. But I mean, when you because like what you said, when you put it out there, yeah, it's public and then everyone sees it. And honestly, let's be honest, when I comment a different opinion on someone else's post where everyone can read it, I'm not talking to that person. I'm talking to everyone else who may read it, who possibly may be on my side or that person's side. So I, I have actually taken it to the comments. We actually have a, a forum internally in staff where we have conversations. Have y'all heard of Workplace? Man, Workplace is dope. Like that's what we use for a lot of our communications. Um, but one of the things we, as another guiding point we have is if, if I couldn't put it on the overhead on Sunday morning and minister to people, I'm not putting it anywhere on Facebook. And that's pretty universal with staff. If it can't go on the overhead – you probably shouldn't be putting it online. Have you ever had the one where you say something to someone in person, you reference something that they posted and they say, Oh, you saw that? I'm so embarrassed. It's like, uh, yes, 
your Twitter account with 653 followers, that thing that you said got retweeted by somebody that I know. And yes, the thing that you posted publicly was seen. I'm sorry that that's embarrassing to you, but yes, I did see it. We actually had that. I had somebody get super mad at me because they posted something uh, with like inflammatory, like cuss language in it. And we were at a small group talking about language stuff and they brought it up as like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And I commented like, yeah, that's probably not the best idea, but it, you know, it happens, whatever. And later on, they got super mad that I was like calling them out for it. And I was just like, wait a minute. Yeah. So social media is weird, man. It's a weird, it's just a weird place. I do think I posted, um, I mean, we don't necessarily have to talk about the nature of the Babylon Bee article or Babylon Bee in general, but I did post about that Chick-fil-A post that they were trying to make fun of Dan Cathy for. And, um, and you know, all I said was, like, I feel like the, the post was, was inappropriate and also racist. And the reason why I said that was because the, the main audience of that site is supposed to be Christians. At least at one point it was. And right. majority of the people are, are over. And, that, and I wasn't like – posting that because i saw one person in my church pad or whatever it was more of like i saw that post make it to run on twitter and then people were, were crapping on some christian figures that were like saying it was wrong and i just was like man this is an inappropriate like thing for people who claim to be christ followers you know what i'm saying and i remember i got in this interaction with someone and the back and forth and and i know this person at least is a christian because they went to, to a, a church of mine back in the day and um, and I just said, like, hey, like, how does this, like, show Christ? Like, how does this honor people? Like, I'm trying to have empathy towards people. And, and, and like, when I look at what Dan Cathy was doing, like, even if he was wrong, he was trying to, to love others in the same way Christ has loved people by washing their feet. So that's why he did the shoe shining thing. And maybe he's wrong in that, but he's trying his best to love others or whatever. And And his response was, whoa, 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 you're taking this way too seriously. It's just a satire article. You didn't have to bring, like, the Bible into it. Like, this is not that serious. And and I, and I like, so I use that as an opportunity. Like, you just proved my point. Why do we as Christians separate our sanctified self from our social media self? Like, our words, whatever we speak, whether it's online or in person, still is who we are, and we need to be mindful of that. And so this is why, like, even when, it, like, I've noticed that, even if people are like not necessarily posting that they're against a protest or against Black Lives Matter, they're aggressively posting very pro um, argumentative posts that are pro the opposite side. Like, and 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 it's like you're posting that very passive aggressively because you disagree with something else. And my thing is when I see that, and I don't know if this is true for you guys. But this is probably the hardest part of the whole social media conversation when it comes to growing up in the church is there are men and women who I used to look up to when I was in high school and in college who like grew me in the faith. And now that I'm in my 30s and I'm still friends with them on Facebook, I've been so disheartened that as much as their gospel witness was for me when I was in high school, it's 100% only about politics. And it's only – and like there's a, there's, a, there's a person I think of who I was a part of their evangelistic ministry in middle school and high school. And like they taught me how to do the wordless book and the evangel cube and go to the state fair and share the gospel. Hmm. There's not a single post on their timeline that isn't like, what's wrong with the protesters? Trump, 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 da 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 da. 
And it's like, there's no evidence of like your gospel witness, except for one post that says, I kneel at the cross, I stand for the flag. Like that, and that's not even like a gospel post, you know? And and for me, the most disheartening thing is it's like, I, there's people who I've loved and, and respected who have like, for lack of a better term, this is our podcast, I'll say whatever I want, have turned to the idolatry of patriotism, if you will, for the sake of like, whatever, and and completely abandon the idea of like godly love, godly unity, and to to love our neighbor, even if we, I mean, Jesus specifically says, love <laughs> wow. your enemies. So these supposed enemies that you have a problem with, how are you loving them by putting ridiculous stuff on social media? So with that same breath, I think about my own thoughts of what I want to post on social media to those people. And I'm like, I'm going to pause and just not post it. Maybe I'll snooze them on th- Facebook for 30 days. Maybe I'll unfollow some people because yeah, I use, it's I not use that worth feature it. a lot. The the snooze is the best invention on Facebook. It is it has saved my ministry. Oh. Have y'all okay? Well, we've been talking about like what we should post. I don't know if y'all have caught this, but there's also like this expectation of you know why aren't you posting this? Have any of y'all ever dealt with that? Like you know when um, when George Floyd was killed, like we all know that's evil. Like our church as to, as a, a together unity, we released a statement on that. Our pastor wrote about that. Um, I helped with the community. We organized a, a, a march. We had a collective statement against racism and for nonviolence that the pastors came and signed at our church. Like we've been trying to carry the banner. And then I had this one girl, she um, she's my age. She slid into my direct box. And, and, and this is like on a Sunday morning. I wake up. She goes, you know, your silence is violence. She goes, you know, you haven't posted one post on Facebook denouncing the actions of those cops. And it's showing where your real allegiance is. And I just think that's sad that you have so much influence in this community and you're not wielding it for God. And first of all, same with you, Frank. I go and look at their social media. I'm like, there's one post about God in the last year, you know, and it was an Easter post or a Christmas post, you know, but like I, I, I just responded back to her. And, and first of all, I'll be honest, one of my number one things with social, if I, if I feel my emotions getting engaged, I do not respond until I am checked out of that space. So once I was able to come back into it, I said, well, hey, these are all the things we have done that are happening kind of out there in the real world. You know, I was nicer, but like the real world, I was like, so are you reaching out to me right now because you want me to type a paragraph on Facebook and mash enter? And she's like, well, yeah, that'd be nice. And she's a self-described activist online. And I'm like, but that's not real activism. And I think that's what they want us as pastors to be is to be activists and like, I think being against racism is a byproduct of the gospel, you know, but that's not the bottom line. You know, the bottom line is who died for us. So, but I mean, have y'all felt that pressure? Like you need, like you have to do this. And if you don't, you're a wicked person. I tell people all the time that my, I choose to use my social media as a conversation starter and not like a, Hey, let's get into a deep personal awkward conversation. But I want people to feel like they can know me and know my family a little bit by spending four minutes scrolling through whatever I post. 
And so I intentionally try to keep my personal social media light and fluffy. And I, I don't think, I, I don't think my opinions need to be read by the, you know, 14, 1500, however many people there are that I'm friends with on Facebook, because there are maybe 200 people in my life who need to know how I stand on a specific position and not everybody else needs to. So yes, I will publicly denounce sin. I will publicly say that, you know, murder is wrong and that racism and prejudice of any kind should not be tolerated, but I'm going to be posting pictures of my kids eating an ice cream cone or, you know, something, something cute that one of my kids did because I think that makes me more approachable as a pastor than me saying I'm going to draw a hard line in the sand and anybody on the other side of that line, well, I'm not going to have time to talk to you. I want people to be able to approach me no matter what side of what issue they may be on. Yeah. Andrew and I have a very similar social media philosophy and it's, it's fun, lighthearted and family. That's kind of my, my, what drives me on social media every now and then, um, my emotions will get the best of me. I'll hit that share button and like, oh, should I have, should I have shared that? I mean, but Matt Chandler delivered it so well. Like, of course, of course I was going to share that, right? It was just so good. Or, or Phil Vischer, man, he just nailed it. Like I got to share, I got to share that. And then it's like, oh, come on. How, how many of you guys uh, post something on Twitter or on Instagram or Facebook and then immediately like delete it? Be like, oh, got it out of my system, but I deleted it. <laughs> it's like, so- I, I have done it. Yeah. Yo, have you ever fully? I've typed up the thing, and it was really long. And Command Alt Delete. Yep. I'll usually type it up and then send a screenshot to Tim, and he'll be like, "You won't, you won't post it." That's a that is probably a biweekly <laughs> occurrence that one of us will say something really snarky and screenshot to the other person. Oh, look what I did! I'm about to send it, and the other one's like, "No, you won't." But the best is when you. <laughs> When you get in trouble for one of your fun or lighthearted posts. So last year when we were in the middle of all of the nonsense, uh, it was my dad's 60th birthday. And we had planned a trip to to Boston to do a, a Rays Red Sox game. And it was right in the thick of things. And, and I still took the trip with my dad because it was me and my dad and my brothers. And we had planned it for a year. And I posted a picture of my dad, myself, my brothers at Fenway Park. And within an hour, I, I had a, a lengthy email from someone in our congregation who said, how, how dare you? When our, when our senior pastor is going through what he's going through, you're doing that. And I had to have this conversation wow. of, it was my dad's birthday. This had been planned for a year. Yeah, I am, I am doing that. So it was just one of those moments where it's like, wow, even the fun, lighthearted stuff can still cause controversy on social media. That's just people that are looking to be offended and looking to be hurt are going to find it. They're going to find a way to be hurt and offended by anybody. And so it's a, you know, at the live at peace with all men as much as it depends on you. Yeah. Because sometimes it just doesn't depend on you. That's a good verse. I think like uh, another aspect of this is like my own. So the, 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 uh, Delmar, which you asked about pressure to post certain things. Um, you know, I just, I've had that conversation a few times with people like I, I have no obligation to speak in a way that you think I should speak. I have an obligation to fulfill my calling as a shepherd of this flock. Um, but the, what the main way that I do that is by my one-on-one interactions with people and by leading on Sunday mornings, that is that that's the way that God has ordained that that's going to happen in the same way that I do think I have an obligation to 
uh, you know, make sure that children who are in my neighborhood are safe as much as it depends on me. But I have a specific obligation to my kid. And I speak to her in a way in private that I don't speak to other kids out in the street. You know, I might tell a kid like, hey, don't run over there. But I will tell my daughter, you know, other things. And then just like on a personal note about like when I feel like I want to post something, the filter I try to run it through is, uh, you know, Jesus in Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other men so that they'll see you. Because if you do that, you won't receive your reward from your father who is in heaven. So I think that you can apply that to like, oh, I want to post this so I look good or I look more spiritually mature to this certain group of people. You've now the reward is for those. Basically, all the reward is is going to be those likes instead of actually just practicing your righteousness in secret where your father sees and nobody else sees, you know, which is for us shepherding our flock well, loving our family. No one's ever going to see it and they're not going to give us credit for it. But God sees I believe we call that virtue signaling. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be honest, <laughs> I, I'm super guilty of I've seen the pastor um, when someone gets shot, you know, uh, what was it, a couple months ago, everybody went for the run, which that's fine. You know, like they weren't going to run in honor of the young man who was shot. But it, I saw a pastor saying, today as I lace up my laces, I realize I've never laced them with fear of getting shot. And I'm like, what are you really, what are you really saying? Because I feel like, that's probably not driving the conversation where we really need to go, you know? Um, and, and maybe that's on me because I'm, I'll just own it. Like I, I, I kind of judged his post there, you know, I'm, but, it, and part of that's because like, I would never do that because I have friends in my life who are minorities. And I feel like that's so disrespectful right. that we only say something like when something extremely horrible happens. And I mean, I even have gotten like, I'm, I'm over all the statements and the open letters, <laughs> like I don't need to see another yes. thing signed guys. Like I don't want to sign it. I don't want to see it. Like <laughs> just let's live in the, into the kingdom values that crisis, you know, called us to, and I don't need to sign another statement. Well, and going back to what, what Delmar was saying, kind of at the, the head of all this, of someone saying, you know, Hey, you didn't speak up about this, this, and this. So it's like, you, you didn't hear the last three things I preached on. You, so so because I did not type something on Facebook mm-hmm. does not mean that I did not right. speak to this subject. You didn't hear me speaking to my congregation on justice. You didn't hear this, that, or the other. When the forum was appropriate and I had the microphone in my hand with nobody else talking is when I said what I said. Just because I did not share mm-hmm. it alongside of the picture of the puppy finding the Cheez-Its does not mean I have not spoken to that specific issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> But at the same time, like there have been times when I have been called out for not saying something and it was legitimately because I was afraid to yeah. say something and I should have said something. So that's possible too. Yeah. 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 That's possible too. Well, this is good guys. Um, uh, I want to transition to uh, our main discussion for today and it has to do with, you know, this, the role that we're in is a unique one where a lot of decisions as tough as they may be, we're the main person to make those decisions. And so, therefore, um, how do you make those decisions? And and Delmar, I know you had a couple situations at your church that were unique that I would love for you to share real quickly. But I, I want to kind of bounce these ideas off of you guys. It's like, how do you make hard decisions as a solo pastor, especially coming from a place where, you know, from your previous position, a lot of decisions were handed to you and the decisions that were big or the harder decisions 
had very low risk. And now you're in a higher risk situation with some of your questions, some of your decisions. You know, who do you bounce with those ideas off of if you do? And, and, and how do you handle decisions when they actually do turn bad? We'd love to have that conversation with y'all. Delmar, share us this, this, the story of kind of what happened at your church. Yeah, Kobayashi Maru. Any y'all familiar with that at all? Yes, I am. Trekkie fans, the non-winnable um, situation. That, <laughs> oh, I thought I you were talking like about the hot the... dog guy. That's a different Kobayashi. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was so excited. I'm like, yes. I love how yeah, excited you Fourth, got about hot dogs. Fourth of July. Oh. It. I was I was like, yes. Sense. Oh, I'm so sorry. We were going being deep <laughs> and, and then serious. I totally took it, and then I got into hot dogs. I took it. I'm sorry. I got yeah. It's all good. It's all good. No, but like right now, it's interesting. You brought this as our discussion, Frank, because yeah, it's we're making hard decisions, but for the first time, it seems like a lot of these decisions are non-winnable. Like whichever you're, I feel like there's not necessarily a good decision. There's just different varying levels of bad decisions, you know? Um, and I'll just give you a really practical one that happened to us, man. We started back, I guess it was a month ago and, uh, we came back in our first week. We were like 70% of where we were when it shut, which, which is kind of freaky. If y'all been following the numbers, second week, same number, third week, we were hanging in there, but what happens is this on a Thursday, I get a phone call. Hey, one of your very high level volunteers who's all over the whole campus has COVID and they had it in the building this past week, very likely. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're one of the, uh. so at this point I have a decision to make. And the decision is this, well, I mean, let's be honest, as pastors, we've been having a couple good weeks back, right? Well, no one really knew. How do we know it was in the building? Like, maybe this person really didn't go everywhere, you know? It's it's been a whole week. It's too late now. I shouldn't say anything. And because you play all the scenarios, I'm like, wow. So, yeah, let's just not say anything and let's play that out in your head. Because as soon as it gets out, and it does. And we're the people who we're charged of caring for. That's the last thing they feel, you know, and this is on a Thursday and we're slated to meet Sunday. Um, so I called my pastor and, I, you know, the senior pastor said, this is what's happened. I know the ripple effect because it's going to if it's one, it's at both. It affects all the campuses, you know, and uh, he goes, well, I'm just going to trust your judgment. <laughs> So to which I'll be honest, it's really good having a pastor like that. Who's like, Hey, I I hired you to be the leader, be the leader, you know? Um, so I have an advisory team and I had an emergency zoom call and basically we really settled as right now, this is going to be in every church in America. You guys are all going to deal with it. I've had to deal with it. I want to lean in the first time with extreme transparency. Because I think the level of trust we we maintain now is what's going to determine how we do return once we do. So I just I went on. We have a, a closed group on Facebook. All of them are in it. And every now and then I will do a live stream. And they know when I'm live streaming there during a weekday, it's important. So I said, hey, tune in here Thursday at like four. And we got in there and I told them didn't use names because HIPAA laws involved, you know. Um, but I said, hey, it was in the building for this amount of time. And what I wanted, and um, what we're going to do is we're going to give it a week to breathe. 
and then we're going to meet online this week, and then we're going to come back. Because let's be honest, if I tell everybody on a Thursday that it was in the building last Sunday, who who from my load-in team is going to show up to church that Sunday? Nobody. I wouldn't. Like, who's going to bring their kids? I wouldn't, you know? So we we gave it that week to kind of breathe a little. Um, and then we came back last week, and what I am noticing is people are even hesitant now to come back because they're like, we need to see how you're going to come back, what new measures – but it's like, man, we already had all the measures we could think of in place. Um, so, but interestingly enough, um, we got back from, we're having to go through it again now. Like we, we came back, our students went to camp last week. It's been six days. And now it turns that a few people brought that back from camp as well. And it's actually a couple churches in our community went to the same camp and it's in both of them. So I'm meeting with the pastor, the senior pastor of the other church in town Tuesday to kind of help them come up with a, a cleanliness strategy. But yeah, I mean, I don't know the right answer. I think that the, the worst answer would have been to withhold that information. And y'all might correct me on that, but um, we took that break. We came back and I, I told, I told them, and this is how I led when we came back and then I'll turn it to y'all. I told them, um, during the greeting time, I was like, Hey, I promised you all at least six foot of space. And I super delivered today, you know, and that kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like lowered the mood. I said, but here's the thing. I'm like, using that you, line on sick, Sunday. That's really good. I'm stealing that line. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. Hey, we, and I, I said, Hey, um, when you're sick, your goal is not to run a marathon tomorrow. Like when you're deathly sick, your goal isn't to run a triathlon. Your goal is to get better. Your goal is to keep surviving. Your goal is to have the heart beating. So I just told him, I was like, to be honest today, you're keeping the heart beating. And I just want to thank you by you being here. You are a heartbeat. And the people who aren't here, we love them and they're beating for us elsewhere. But today we are keeping the heart beating. So that's kind of the way we're leading from here is like, listen, we're the heartbeat on this side of town when other churches aren't meeting. We're still going to be meeting unless God just completely shuts it down. But uh, that's the decision. That's where we had our first bout with COVID. If y'all dealt with it at all, I'd love to hear how you did because that's a shot in the dark. It's funny that you you bring that up, Delmar, because uh, Andrew and I are actually in a a group chat with some area pastors, and and one of our one of our good friends is dealing with this right now, and he's he's wrestling with what to do. And and sometimes Andrew and I will text, you know, how do we how do we respond? Like do we provide guidance? Do we, do we just say, Oh man, we're, we're praying. Like, is there, is there a right or wrong answer here? Because I feel like no matter what, it, we're all going to be right and wrong at the same time. For me, um, I'm so thankful for a, a plurality of leadership. I believe the new Testament is strong on that teaching of a plurality of elders, pastors. So I, I lean heavily on some of the godly wisdom around me, uh, not only at my church, but also in, in my network. So my, my local pastor network has been huge for me over these last few weeks and months. And, and I'm hoping that, that practically pastoring this network can be huge for, for a lot of guys and gals out there too, who are struggling with decisions like this, but don't have that network to lean into. So thank you for this, for this topic, Frank. I think this is a good one to discuss right now. Um, just to, to get way more general than just COVID, because you know we're all kind of dealing with that, but in general, when it's time to make a hard decision, yes, you know, you, you lean into elders, you lead into, you know, a council, whatever your church might have, but so often it comes down to, all right, you are the person that actually has to make this decision. And so when I make a decision, one of the things that I tell myself is if, if I make decision, I need to be okay with being wrong. 
like here is to the best of my ability what I what I think is right and what I in, in my gut is right. And if in six hours, six months, six years from now, I realize that that decision was wrong, that's okay. Like I am not I'm not ever going to be perfect. And I need to be okay with knowing that, you know, 60% of what I decide might go okay, but there might be 30 or 40% that goes wrong. And that's okay. And if it goes wrong, then admit, hey, I did my best. It didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. My bad. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of decisions that I made that I hope I'm wrong about, but I was trying to make them to be extra cautious or to be extra conservative or extra loving, extra graceful, whatever it may be. Um, whatever, Whenever you make the tough call, just be okay with maybe being wrong. That's not being wrong about something isn't the end of the world. Unless it's actually the end of the world, like in Armageddon. If Bruce Willis was wrong, that would have been a big problem. Oh, that would have been horrible. I did yeah. learn I did learn one thing though, especially with student camp, that John Piper is actually wrong. Yeah, I know, man. Risk is not always right. <laughs> I, I think I, I actually that book is one of my favorite books. Risk is Risk is right. It's same here, but that's why I knew it said I knew it'd be low bait for you. But I man, I just think what Andrew said was was really good. Is like there's there's a lot of decisions where I think to myself, I I like I have like an internal internal like mitigation process of like, okay, what is the worst case scenario if I do this? What is the what's the fallback? What's the pushback? You know, and like short of am I gonna get fired and is the entire church gonna leave? Okay, those aren't gonna happen. We'll, we we can figure this out, right? And even if those two solutions even if those two conclusions were the, the answer, sometimes maybe that is still the right move to do. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. But I mean, I think like um, the, the, what you said exactly is right, Tim. Like the biggest thing about being a, the senior pastor or even the campus pastor or being like the higher up you are in the church, the more lonelier it can feel like when it comes to these decisions. And, and, and yeah, I mean, Praise God, like, if you have a good elder board that you, that you have a relationship with that, I mean, and I think, and we can talk about this one day. I actually don't have any comments on this. I would be interested to hear, like, how does your elder board govern? Like, are they specifically just, like, watching to make sure you guys are within the bounds of scripture, or are they in the minutia of the finances? Like, those are two very different kinds of elder boards, and I would love to hear that conversation one day. But, like, sometimes you have elder boards who are not able to help you make those decisions, but they're just making sure that you don't do any hair, anything heretical. Right. And like, um, or spend too much money. And I think like, for me, there are like where I want to be able to bounce these decisions off are actually some people who have no skin in the game, like talking to you guys and be like, mm -hmm. Hey, objectively from an outsider's point of view, here's the context. Here's the situation. What would you do if you were me? You don't have, the personal biases of the individuals in, in place. You don't have the stigmas of what's going on in your culture. You can kind of see maybe even a more objective point of view because like if I ask Jeff a question, his first response might be like, well, what's, what does believing the gospel look like in this situation? And that is the most pragmatic perspective on this. And therefore that might be the right answer where I'm convoluted with personalities, people, offended people, all this type of stuff where like I can't make this decision on my own. And I think, like, ultimately, man, like, if we don't have uh, a few safe people outside of our church, but also just a few safe people that we can just say, hey, here's a weird thing I'm in. It's a tough decision. It's going to be a lose-lose no matter what. What would you do in my situation? That is, 
I mean, that's key at any level's pastoral ministry, but especially the higher up where you're accountable to an elder board. And there's this weight where like, if you feel like if you hurt enough people, you might not be able to feed your kids later. Like this is where the help of having good friends that care about you more than your job can help you out. Yeah, I sense? think part of that, that whole pressure of if I do a wrong decision, then I won't be able to feed my family. Ultimately though, I mean, God is going to be the one that's going to feed your family, not you. So, you know, if you, and I say that uh, obviously (laughs) being insecure about a lot of things, but I think that like, for me, (laughs) one of the things I learned in the last place I was at is that I don't, I have a tendency, I think self-awareness is a big deal. And I think going through some kind of process of gaining, you know, more self-awareness, whether that be counseling or, you know, going through something like strengths finders or whatever, you know, metrics you want to use, um, is to, you know, I I know that I, I have a tendency to present myself as an expert if I don't, if I, if I'm not aware of it. And especially, I think, particularly for a younger pastor in an, in an older established church, that's just like, that's cancer for decision making, because, um, you know, you, you just want to come in with humility. And because uh, the reality is, you know, you know, deep down inside, I know deep down inside, I've, I haven't done this before. I haven't been the one in this seat before. So the reality is that um, I need to be transparent about that. And I think like an example for us is I shifted our, uh, or I'm in the, I'm in the process of shifting us from a, you know, typical program based kind of church structure to shifting over to missional communities and switching the mindset from ministry and mission happening at the church property to ministry and mission happening in missional communities. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of books about that and stuff, but sometimes I, I have found myself in the last six months or so asking the question of whether or not it's working. Um, because this church has, has gone along pretty much with every change I've wanted to do, which sounds great on the surface, but then if it doesn't work or if it's not accomplishing the mission you thought it was going to accomplish, there's nobody to look at except yourself because they went along with you. So that's been a hard one. So I have an advisory team. I have uh, older pastor friends in the community, which I would I, I would say one of the first best things you can do if you're a new younger pastor in a community is go make friends with some older guys who have been in that community for a long time. Um, and, you know, just like take them out to coffee. Uh, I because I'm you know, I'm a little better with technology. I've been making the sermon video for. Uh, an older Methodist guy in my area for, I don't know, like 10 weeks now. Every Saturday he comes over at five, we shoot his video. I edit it for him and just upload it to YouTube. But that, you know, that has created a friendship. And so, you know, it's easy for me to text him and be like, hey, what do you think about this? How does this community, my community of Lansdowne, you know, how do the people here think about this? Because I'm not from here. So that's been really important. And then just, you know, trusting the the wisdom of the older folks in your church, if you have them. Uh, and I do. And so I just, there's been a number of decisions that I was like, I, I'm not sure about this. So I'm going to go with what, you know, they're saying. And, you know, for the most part, it's turned out, turned out well, but the missional community thing is like, I'm questioning whether or not we made the right decision to move in that direction. And you you have to swallow your pride. Like if you can't swallow your pride and be wrong about it, then I mean, don't be a pastor. Cause like, it's going to happen. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I have an advisory team and uh, they're all like really solid people. 
Um, but one of them, he he predates me since this ch- campus was planted. His name's Larry, and he's seventy, and he he knows way more than I. He knows all the people, and like when I'm today before we started this podcast, I talked with him forty minutes because I was like, "Hey, we have some pretty big decisions to make about life groups and everything," and uh, I, I presented them to him. And and what I love about Larry is he will give you that abrasion that you need as a pastor. Not just a, hey, yeah, that sounds like it's good. Let's go with it. And then hopefully if it turns out, oh, man, I thought it was going to turn out too. Larry would be like, well, you might not know this family over here has this anxiety. Like, man, having those people with that gift of just pastoring others in your uh, in your advisory team, man, that can save you so many problems. And I think having older, wise people like that who will still stick with you when you make a mistake and they know it. I, I can't think of some anything more important than yeah. that. Like somebody who will come up to you. I have an elder here who, when I've done, there's been a couple things that it wasn't a major mistake, but I did something that was like, uh, like I changed lighting fixtures and people didn't like it, which I, it's minor, but in a small church, that's people talk about it. And he came up and was like, listen, I, I mean, I don't like those, but I love what you're doing. And I support you. And I want you to know that I'm behind you. And like, there's nothing that can be better for a young, insecure pastor to hear from an older guy in the church than that. Like you need, Man, it's almost right. like he, he's like my, like a spiritual father and you just need that. I think, I think talking about practical stuff. I mean, like this is, this was really good. I think, I think I'm, I'm convicted now that like, I don't know if I have any older pastors that I can go to right now. Um, except for the people who are technically like 10 years older than me on my staff. You know what I'm saying? So I need to, I need to personally find that in my own life, but this is great. Hey, let's uh, let's start wrapping down this podcast. I want to ask a question of the day, the question of the pod, which hopefully as you're listening to this, if you have any questions that you want to shoot us um, uh, to, to hear our answers, you can um, find it on Facebook and the Facebook group or send me a DM on Instagram um, at Practically Pastoring. But uh, here is the question of the day. Very, very, very simply. What's your favorite TV show of all time? All time. The office, the office, hands down. Just always, always the fallback when nothing else is on, nothing good's out, or I don't feel like binging anything else. I'm going to fall back on the office. Definitely cheers. Oh. Oh. Bro, yes. Did not expect that. Every every modern comedy has to have a cell phone to help tell the story, and cheers is just like raw writing talent. (laughs) If you haven't watched it, you should you should check it out. It's good. Yeah, that's me. I guess I'm not a super big TV guy. I don't, I don't watch a ton of it, but I do like the show The Prophet, uh, where he goes into failing businesses. And I, uh, in my flesh, I wish there was a guy like that for churches. Just come in and like, hey, I'm going to give you this much to fix your building up, and you you're out, and you got to stop being on the board, and we're going to do this. I will. <laughs> I do think that there's like um, there's something. I think every pastor should watch a season or two of either Shark Tank or The Prophet. I think there's so many yes. like practical stuff yeah. that can be learned from that, even though they're not like church at all. But like The Prophet is, I think The Prophet's better than Shark Tank just because that guy is just like, I know what I'm talking about, and we're here to fix it. And like he's not a jerk about just it. Either. A lot of just smart cool. stuff. He's not. Yeah, Andrew, what's your favorite show? Uh, it's a little show by the name of Psych. From the USA Network, basic cable police procedural with a fake psychic detective. And I just finished re-binging it for probably the sixth or seventh time. 
because Psych the movie part two, Lassie Comes Home, will be streaming on the Peacock streaming service <laughs> here in just about a week. So I was prepared to prepare myself for their made for TV movie. I rewatched all eight seasons oh. last month. Love it. Love it. Um wow. very simply, I mean Psych is a great show. Um and The Office is great too. I, it, it comes down to, to, to between two shows um, because they have two different, very different tones to it. For me, it's either Lost. Um, I, I don't know if there was any other two. show that has such good like writing that like literally kept me on the edge of the seat. That wasn't like a forced cliffhanger. Like it was really good, but it's not without its fault. Like when during the writer's strike, it got messed up. But um, but then. I, I'm so glad it came to Netflix. I talked about this recently. Community. Community is one of the smartest and funniest shows. And no one gives it credit. And and like there's so many stars that can like Donald Glover was a nobody when that show was on, and he is like one of the biggest names in like cinema right now. I just want you to know the modern warfare episode alone. So good. All, 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 is the, a masterpiece. all the paintball episodes. I mean, the fact that there's so many different genres within the show, like claymation and eight bit, or or like these bottle episodes. It's just so good. But it's one of those. It's like a rest development where like you can't just watch one. Like it's not like a passive show. You have to watch it from like beginning to end because there's so many nuanced like callbacks and stuff like that that make the show better. Otherwise, it's like a weird show. Frank, I want you to know that the. Uh... The guest, I'm assuming, villain in Psych, the movie part two, Lassie Comes Home, is Joel McHale. Really? Yes. Wow. And, and I would also peaked. say that Lost, in my opinion, is the best show of modern TV, whereas Psych is my favorite. Lost is by far the best show. I absolutely love it. It's another Lost one that I. Good. Do y'all remember the podcasts that were coming out alongside of Lost? Did any of y'all watch those? They were amazing. When it was coming out, that was back when I was like early 20s. We would have a group of college students come to my house every Friday night at midnight. We would we called it Lost at Midnight. And they were to bring their lost friends. I was bacheloring <laughs> it up. And we would watch an episode and then we would talk about how where how they're basically using cr- the, the Christian plot narrative to tell their story there's there's a lot of preachable moments in lost the other show i would say is like up there with me for lost but also got weird after a certain season is walking dead and i would like watch there was a show uh called talking dead afterwards i i I would it was it's another great show with great writing but it became redundant and they killed some dumb characters but you have to know when to end it i think breaking bad nailed it because they knew that this this story had to end even though it was at the height of its popularity so that's why breaking bad is probably my my number two they're milking walking dead there's like 10 seasons i love shows with the built-in after show like that and i know that as christians we're not supposed to out loud say that game of thrones is another great show but (laughs) the ringer.com had an after show that they would do with it that was like it was full on literary criticism but of a tv show and i almost would rather watch the people discussing the show after it than watching the show (laughs) itself because i'm a giant nerd full disclaimer i've never seen an episode of game of thrones because i'm saying because you're a christian i get it (laughs) i I've, i've only seen one episode of breaking bad and I get it. Everyone's like, you got to watch past episode one. Da, 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 da. I'm just not into meth. And so I just can't get into the show. 
Um, so with that being said, hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Give us a review. Facebook, Instagram, join us there. Uh, we want to keep the conversation going, and you can ask us your questions online. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar P. I am Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And we are practically pastoring. Yeah, we we'll are. We'll see you next time. Bye.